Hello and welcome to the Max Communications 2021 podcast, a series of podcasts where we explore various archives and collections. My name is Faith Williams and I'm joined today by Nick Smith, archivist for the National Gallery. Hi Nick, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us about how you came to be in your position? Hi Faith, yes sure. Well um, first thanks very much for inviting me to participate in your podcast series. I joined the National Gallery in April 2019 as Archivist FOI Officer and Data Protection Coordinator. So I got about a year under my belt before we went into lockdown. And my responsibilities embrace both historical records and information rights compliance. So there's quite a variety of tasks which fall between these two areas of responsibility. Pre uh, previously, I worked at the Victorian Abbott Museum for 11 years as one of the archivists and records managers. Um, in my time there, I got to create a couple of small displays, one which looked at uh, the first director, Henry Cole's um, overseas shopping activities in the 19th century. And the second was a kind of anniversary display on um, some of the books that were owned by the 18th century actor David Garrick, which were part of the National Art Library's collections, and which I was um, uh, writing a book on at the time. Um, I did my graduate traineeship at the Oxford University Archive, um, and prior to that I did a three-week, three-month stint at the National Maritime Museum working in the archive there. So my career in some respects has really largely orbited around museums and galleries, um, more by luck and design really, but I'm very fortunate that it's worked out that way. Um, I entered the archives profession really as a result of a career change, I think. Um, I, following a, a doctorate, I worked freelance for Oxford University Press's Dictionary of National Biography, initially as a portraiture researcher, then I diversified into archives. Um, this involved kind of researching deposits of relevant archival materials related to the different um, individuals who were subject of the memoirs. And that perhaps planted a seed in my mind. And um, a few years later, when I decided to take things in a different direction, um, it was um, uh, the archives that I gravitated towards. Um, so that's uh, a potted history of my um, uh, involvement in archives up to, to date. So you mentioned you've kind of had a year in this role where you've been on site and then a year under lockdown. Do you, how different have you found that? Um, initially it felt very different. Um, fortunately, very quickly our IT team got systems in place whereby we could um, dial in remotely and have access to all of the um, galleries, um, drives and applications. Um, so the major um, sense of absence really has been um, access to the physical records. Um, we have um, some items digitized, um, the uh, galleries, board of trustees, minutes, um, up, well, um, they're up uh, digitized quite recently, but we make them accessible um, through the gallery website up until 1919. And similarly, a series of stock books, which are part of the Thomas Agnew's um, Old Masters Dealer um, archives. So 
to an extent, we've managed to use a couple of these resources to um, continue work, um, both in respect of answering remote inquiries and some other projects. Um, uh, the trustees minute books actually provided a kind of ancillary um, lockdown project um, for um, some staff who've been redeployed, um, namely transcribing indexes to kind of help um, uh, enlarge access point to the, this particular resource. Um, but as um, uh, the lockdown seemed to coincide with a significant uplift in information and clean plants work, um, we had about uh, an increase, 143% increase in FOI inquiries over the previous year's um, submissions, um, uh, which was quite a surprise, I think, um, particularly as they're all very different types of inquiry. There's no obvious logic as to why the um, various requests are being asked at a particular point. Um, uh, most of these could actually be um, responded to from access to um, electronic records. So. Um, my absence from the gallery wasn't um, problematic in respect of responding to those. Um, so you, you get into a rhythm, really. <laughs> I expect you found yourself. Um, so, um, and you very quickly adapt to the new environment, really. And um, I suppose we'll be learning lessons as to how we can uh, kind of apply some of these new working methods um, back, back on site when we do return. As you say, I think we've kind of a lot of organisations had to pivot a bit into projects that maybe were on the back burner that they can just access and complete whilst off site. What do you have sort of piling up in your to do list that you can't do at the moment? Um, well, there's quite a major building project which is um, coming to a close by spring, which is involving the re relocation of a lot of staff from their present offices to um, a newly redeveloped facility on the main site. Um, one of the kind of internal courtyard light well has been kind of um, uh, repurposed. So um, there's quite a lot of semi-current records, which are going to be heading my way as staff vacate offices and um, do some housekeeping work. Um, Fortunately, um, a records manager joined the gallery um, just over 12 months ago to um, uh, roll out the SharePoint electronic records management um, project. So um, uh, that was a, a kind of an opportunity appointment and um, um, uh, kind of quite neatly dovetails into this um, uh, office move project and the uh, transfer of records to the to the record store um, so that's something you can't really do terribly much of without having physical access to the records while we get kind of sent lists of files which will eventually be physically transferred to us you can kind of notionally add these on to um, the records management module of calm um, it's always useful to be able to check the physical contents of what you're documenting and to add additional information to the records to kind of facilitate retrieval. Um, one of the other projects we're doing um, is producing item level descriptions of our 
19th century letterbooks. These letterbooks actually stretch into the early 1920s. And um, they kind of provide a, a wealth of information regarding the gallery's activities um, over a 70 year or so period. Um, these are actually um, something that Max is helping us digitize from uh, microfilm. Um, we catalog these down to item level uh, and each volume contains about a thousand pages. So it's quite a significant um, exercise. Over the years, um, we've got up to about volume 18, I think of 24. So there's a bit of a way to go, but um, uh, it, digitization will make ongoing work on that particular project um, irrespective of where, where you happen to be based, um, something you can actually um, uh, pursue with um, slightly more efficiency than has previously been the case. So what type of material do you work with? Because obviously the National Gallery has its collections, which is separate, and you've got a library. Is that separate too from what you work on? Um, the library and archive are both part of the National Gallery Research Centre, which was established to um, uh, facilitate the gallery's strategic um, research mission and to um, make its records open to the widest possible audiences. So um, yes, we're, we're both based in the, the, uh, the same offices um, on the main gallery site. Um, but our, I mean, our records, as you'd expect, are mostly um, uh, paper-based, um, and they fall into a couple of broad categories. So we hold records of the gallery's activities from its foundation in 1824 to the present day. Uh, these include the institutional or public records generated by the gallery itself, um, examples of which are the um, minutes and papers of the Board of Trustees, annual reports, uh, administrative correspondence. We have very large collections of 19th century letters and 20th century registry files, exhibition records, acquisition files, architectural plans, posters, photographs, press cuttings, um, etc. And then there are those private papers relating to individuals or activities closely associated with the gallery, uh, such as the first director, Charles Eastlake's travel notebooks. Um, he, lucky chap, got to spend many months um, of the year traveling around continental Europe um, looking for paintings suitable, suitable for the gallery's walls. And he compiled these notebooks, um, which, in which he recorded his impression of the artwork he'd seen and um, owners and places visited. And in fact, um, he actually um, uh, died in Pisa in the course of one of these. Um, overseas trips and um, he was buried um, um, uh, but uh, the Royal Society wanted his remains repatriated so he was um, exhumed and brought back over and uh, buried in um, Kensal Green Cemetery. Um, we've also got a large group of papers of Gary's second director William Boxall and its first keeper Ralph Wernham. Uh, but more recent acquisitions include the records of Thomas Agnew and Sons, which I mentioned previously, and the Burlington Magazine. And both these acquisitions put Gary's research focus on buying, collecting, and uh, display. 
Um, so the, the public records primarily document the 2,300 or so paintings in the gallery's collection, uh, but they also record the history and development of the gallery as an institution and its impact on UK and international heritage more broadly. The archives are also responsible for the art historical or curatorial dossiers or the object files. So every painting in the collection has a dossier which contains things like research notes, bibliographies, photographs, and other useful materials which um, throw light on the uh, painting. These, this particular system was established in the 1920s and it's largely continued up to the present, although we're kind of winding back from this particular um, method of organisation. Um, during the 20th century, some documentation was removed from the archive and put in the, the dossiers. Um, this is the kind of um, uh, practice that we're reversing when we come across it. Um, so the, um, um, historical records are actually returned to their relevant archive series and replaced with um, Xerox. But the dossiers are kind of act as a kind of one-stop shop for staff and researchers who are interested in a particular painting. Um, I've mentioned the digitised records. Um, there are, there's a separate photographic library um, known as the Mini Wit because it was developed in response to Sir Robert Witt's depositing his um, extensive photograph collection at the Courtauld Institute. Um, although this is separate to the gallery's photographic archive. And then there's also uh, an extensive AV library, although there are some recordings in the um, institutional archive itself. Uh, so that's just a kind of uh, a broad overview of the kind of collections that we have. So who researches um, through the collection? Who, who accesses the material? Um, I suppose our audiences fall into two broad types. There's the internal users, primarily the galleries curators who are working on catalogues or art historical monographs, articles, reception exhibitions, that kind of stuff. Uh, members of the learning team use the archive. Um, for a few years now we've um, joined in um, an event called Articulation which encourages students aged between 16 and 19 to engage with art as a way of developing their public speaking and critical thinking skills. And they've kind of provided us with a long list of paintings and the, um, the graduate trainee has um, kind of investigated this list and sh um, shortened it to those paintings which have particularly interesting backstories. And uh, they make these dossiers available to the students who, the finalists who come in and gives a kind of short presentation more generally about the archives holdings. Uh, buildings and estate staff use the archives, um, particularly when they're doing gallery renovations, um, investigating historical pigments, um, considering how paintings have previously been hung in these historical spaces, um, or more broadly investigating the kind of um, the footprint of the gallery, public rights of way, that, that kind of stuff. And then there are external users, primarily um, academic researchers, both UK-based and international. We get quite a lot of, or had 
before we went on lockdown, quite a steady stream of postgraduate students coming through our doors, um, especially from um, um, London-based art institutions such as the Courtauld, Christie's and Sotheby's Education, and the Warburg Institutes. Um, with the latter, the, the National Gallery kind of operates a joint MA in art history, curatorship and Renaissance culture. So the Warburg students come in usually in the um, winter term and work intensively on a, um, a particular painting um, with a view to kind of drafting a, um, a catalogue entry on this particular painting. And they make use of the curatorial dossiers and other archive resources for that. Um, we might also welcome in art dealers. Um, the uh, provenance research into paintings that have passed through Agnews is um, uh, quite a popular subject. So uh, we actually had quite a lot of um, uh, research inquiries of that nature um, in 2020. Um, and there might also be private owners um, investigating paintings, which may have been um, lent to the gallery at one point in their history or otherwise looking for information. So you've talked about some of the challenges you've come across, particularly in the past year, but what are your hopes for the future of the archive? Um, I suppose um, we're coming up to our mid-review for archive service accreditation. So um, well, an immediate hope is that we get re-accredited. Um, I suppose that is something that's, um, I don't know to what extent um, uh, TNA, the accreditation timetable has been affected by um, the, the lockdown, um, the pandemic, but uh, I suppose um, in some respects there's been um, a knock-on um, in our own preparations for that, where it probably would have been handy to have more time on site dealing with, with some matters. Um, I'd like to resume the Gary's Oral History project. And um, we have a bicentenary celebration coming up in 2024. And I imagine that the archive will make a contribution to uh, preparations for that. So, um, so it seems like a, a fairly um, uh, diverse <laughs> set of um, future activities to involve myself in. You mentioned the bicentenary. With a collection going back such a long way, what is your favourite item from the material you work with? Well, um, I hope you'll indulge me. <laughs> I actually collect <laughs> a few items. Um, uh, one of them is the the, um, the diary of um, keeper Ralph Wernham, which he described as not official for my own use and read information. And this contains loads of interesting stuff out in the gallery between 1855 and 1877. Um, the kinds of pictures that were purchased, where they were hung, restoration work which was undertaken, framing and gilding, uh, the kind of securities and crowd control measures which um, were in operation, opening hours, building work, visits by distinguished uh, people. Um, they, it was clearly a rivalry between uh, the National Gallery and the South Kensington Museum um, as a 
platform employed the VNA, um, I found quite entertaining to read about. And the diary itself is really quite good for social media because they've got the kind of chronological structure it means that you can kind of uh, find on this day kind of stuff. So um, um, there's a lot of entertainment there. And Wynum himself um, um, resided on the site with his family. So um, uh, and, uh, you can read about the occasion where he uh, was nearly poisoned by the um, new paint which were applied to his walls as part of the um, interior decorating that took place, or the football that um, um, broke the, the glass in his window, which came from the military barracks adjacent to the galleries. So, a little kind of nuggets of uh, social history there. Um, there's rather a poignant letter written by the art collector. Hugh Lane, um, in which he declines an invitation to give a talk to the Ulster Arts Club exhibition in Belfast because he's due to set sail for America. And uh, he jokes he might not return if his ship's sunk by a German U-boat. And um, unfortunately, that was rather prescient as he was traveling on the Lusitania, which was torpedoed on the 7th of May, um, 1915. And, um, one item from the Agnes archive is um, some strips of canvas which have been mounted and framed behind glass. Um, and these were taken from Thomas Gainsborough's portrait of Georgina, Duchess of Devonshire. Um, this painting, which has been lost for many years from um, the Chatsworth art collection, um, was rediscovered um, hanging above the fireplace for now the teacher's fireplace and purchased by um, at auction by Agnes in 1876. And they displayed in their London showroom and a couple of weeks later, it was stolen. And um, um, as it transpired by a, um, a well-known thief called Adam Worth. Um, but periodically, they would be sent strips of canvas um, um, with a warning that not to involve the police, otherwise they destroy, destroy the painting in its entirety. And um, it wasn't for 25 years, um, and eventually with the involvement of a, um, a detective agency called uh, Pinkertons, that um, uh, one of the Agnes traveled to um, Chicago to um, um, uh, pay $25,000 ransom to secure the painting. And it was brought back to London and um, uh, restored and very quickly it was traveling back across the Atlantic to New York because it was acquired by um, the collector um, Pierpont Morgan. Um, although uh, it was eventually sold again, I believe is now back in the Chatsworth collections after 200 year absence. So um, those are just um, three, um, three things uh, that uh, currently appeal to me. I'm sure uh, um, I'll find others when I get back on site. Those are very interesting. I think people think that the bureaucracy of art is the least interesting thing about it, but when, you know, Pinkerton's detective agency proved you wrong, hasn't it? Absolutely. I'm sure um, there's escape for a novel or a, a, a TV series. <laughs> Thank you for talking to us today, Nick. It's been really interesting hearing about the material that kind of goes behind the scenes of, of galleries and exhibitions and things like that and all the interesting material that is available for people in, in normal times to research about their favourite artworks and artists. Um, is there anything available that people can look at online whilst they're locked in their houses? 
Um, we do have a website which you just access the main gallery web page and we do periodically put things on Twitter although normally these centre around particular um, campaigns or events particularly um, um, explore your archive but um, um, otherwise we're still open and, and for remote inquiries so um, do, do contact us and uh, we'll do our best to um, support your research. Yeah and hopefully we'll get we could be an on-site visit sometime this year. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yes thank you for talking to me Nick it's been a real pleasure. Cheers.